I'm just going to go live early because I think it's like literally only you and I, <laughs> Richard, because I, I did this at the worst possible time. Richard Campbell's just messaged. Greetings programs. Concurrent viewers, one. Because it's a quarter to seven on Sunday morning. Um, be that as it may, this stuff does get replayed later <laughs> by the podcast and by the video. So g'day, mate. Thank you for joining, for having someone here. Um, I'm doing it super, super late because it's just been the most hectic week of uh, of conferences and events and travels. And I should have done it not on Friday morning. I couldn't do that because I was talking at all cert. I'm going to talk about each of these events tomorrow. And then I probably would have done it yesterday had I not been able to do it Friday. But uh, frankly, I was tired. <laughs> I woke up at 2 o'clock yesterday morning because I'm a little bit a little bit off the jet lag, I think, on um, on the Perth time zone, which we'll talk about in a moment. So, yeah, it has been a bit of, <laughs> a bit of catch up this week. We start with the obvious place with the sponsor, Collide, ensuring only secure devices can access your cloud apps. Zero Trust Taylor made for Okta. Booking a demo today. Massive thanks for Collide. It has been, I'd say, an unprecedented run of sponsor, which has a while to run yet with Collide this year. If a device isn't secure, can't access your apps, achieving Zero Trust works on Mac, Windows, Linux, iOS, and Android. So, huge thank you uh, to Collide for. uh, to make it easier for me to go and do things like travel around, I was going to say the world, it feels like I've traveled around the world because that's how far Western Australia is from here. Travel around the places uh, and do the conferences and the things like that. Uh, so please go and check out Collide. Really appreciate their support there. Joel is here, not watching Eurovision. Now, this, someone just messaged me about Eurovision and I was going to give a response. What was the response here or the, the picture? Jeez, oh, what is it? What's the tweet here? Australia, uh, Christian Anderson, Australian European Song Contest, which country do you cheer for, Troy Hunt? And I was going to say something to the effect of, I'm basically going to do what almost every single Australian does uh, and really not give a shit about the European (laughs) Song Contest. European Eurovision. I think the hint is in the Euro part of the name. Um, Other than really liking the movie with Will Ferrell, (laughs) I think myself and most Australians just... Uh, this is, uh, anyway, George is watching. He's not watching Eurovision either. Okay, all right, well, I, and he's in Austria. All right, I had to double-check that, not Australia. So. Kiefer is in the in the US. G'day, Kiefer. It is Christian. That's the same Christian who was just here, is it? Got to compare. Maybe. Yes, <laughs> probably. Uh, good evening from Europe. Sorry to say, I'll have to watch the recording tomorrow since ESC is on the TV. Who knows what that is? I wonder if Troy cheers on Norway or somewhere else because he's too busy watching the Eurovision Song Contest. He missed the fact that we, we don't really pay any attention at all here. Hmm. I do know it's massive in Europe too. I have my very own European here, so I learn these things. Uh, and yeah, you see, you're still here listening to me, Christian, rather than going and watching a keyboard character <laughs> on TV. Yeah. All right, what was I going to talk about? I made a list. Uh, Cyber West. Let me talk about Perth and travel. And for those of you in other parts of the world, uh, such as Christian, Australia is freaking huge. And I think you got a bit of an idea about this. Uh, I tweeted when I think it was when I was on the plane over to 
Perth uh, tweeted a photo of like all of Europe fitting within Australia. Now, Australia, very similar size to continental USA slash Canada, uh, a little bit smaller than, than both of those. Similar sorts of dimensions and, and distances. So to get from here to Perth, which we went to on Friday last week, it was a five and a half hour flight. Uh, one hop, fortunately. Two hour time difference, we get backwards because we're going west. Uh, interestingly, it was about four hours coming back. So there's obviously something about the winds, but it's a bloody long way. Let's just go with that. So we got all the way over to there and went down to uh, Margaret River for a few days. Now, Margaret River is sort of like the one of the wine regions of Australia. Hadn't been there before, so we went and did that. Had a few nights away, had some wines, bought a bunch of wines, <laughs> which, are, which are starting to arrive on our doorstep. Got to figure out where to put those now. Uh, and just had a really, I guess, nice, relaxing time away until we got back to Perth. And then, then things did get a little bit busier. So I had a, a an Azure, 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 what do I normally say? Azure. Christian's confused with the European thing now. Uh, Azure user group meeting, meet up at Microsoft in Perth on, on Tuesday night. So that was nice. I think we must have had about 80 people or something there. I... I was a little bit lazy and just went, I'm not going to prepare anything. It's just going to be total AMA, uh, which was good. So we did, uh, I want to say, an hour and a half plus of, of AMA, uh, which kicked off by the first question, just wanting to talk about the McLaren, which was which was great. <laughs> this is going to get off to a good start. And I know that can be a polarizing subject online. And now you're all sitting here in the room and you're stuck listening to this guy's questions about cars, which I was happy talking about. But anyway. We did do a lot of cyber, and it was nice to do something uh, in front of all these people. Now, incidentally, I have the jumper on today because I don't know. It's, it's not that it's like cold in here. It's warm enough that the fans come on. But it's a drizzly, drizzly day here on the Gold Coast. It was a bit of a shame because I was looking forward to being outdoors and doing some active stuff today, which I need to do after a week of whining and dining. So anyway, we did a bunch of AMA. Uh, that was fantastic at Microsoft in Perth. Following day was Cyber West, which was the primary reason I guess we went over there. Keynote there, which which was fantastic. I did uh, I did about a forty minute presentation, about twenty minutes of Q and A. Really, really good engaged audience. Probably about three hundred people, I'd say. Uh, really nice people too. Lovely people. It was a really, really ah. So it's like a very ingratiating audience, and maybe it's because we all I think are still sort of coming out of this. COVID recovery, for want of a better term, where we get to go out and do stuff. But just loads of people wanting to come up and talk. Uh, I think I did an unprecedented number of selfies <laughs> on Wednesday between the event and then the, the drinks that night as well, uh, which, which was great. An unprecedented number of selfies with Charlotte too. It's lovely to be able to do that with your partner and it's not just all eyes on you kind of thing. It, I need to do another talk another day about how that I'm fine with that, but there are times where it does get a little bit, a little bit weird. <laughs> but anyway, that was really good. And and also, we just got to the point of Wednesday. So I'm I'm tired of all this. It's like room service. So we just sat in the room, bottle of Margaret River wine, <laughs> and room service. Uh, and then we flew back. And just for a go into that, who else is, is in here? Richard isn't watching uh, that either. Uh, he's in the Netherlands this week. Oh, very good. Do like the Netherlands. We're going back to the Netherlands in September for folks in the Netherlands. <laughs> Listen, this Stefan's here today. Stefan, I was just thinking about you because I've got to talk to you later on and try and push some code. But um, 
you know that. I know that. It's in the calendar. Everything's going to be fine. We'll talk about that another day. Um, anyway, so I came back here, and it, it it was a little bit nonstop because we we woke up. I, think, I must have woken up at four a.m. or something on Thursday. Gone to the airport, uh, flown back to Australia, landed, and then normally we drive like an hour from Brisbane home, and everything is fine. And we ended up having like a two and a half hour trip because of crappy traffic. Got back just enough time to get changed. Go out to Ozert here on the Gold Coast. So Ozert is probably Australia's premier infosec conference, I'd say. They must have normally about 800-odd people there. It is in our hometown here on the Gold Coast. It has been my go-to event for many, many years here. Actually, it used to be so close I could walk to it, which was really nice. And, and they've since moved, so now it's like a 15-minute Uber. Um Uber because we did go out to dinner. Nice gala dinner there. Had a really nice night out, but it was it was just so back to back. Up first thing Friday, did a panel. Did a panel on data governance. Now, this does not sound like the sexiest topic in the world. <laughs> uh, let me explain what was in there in the panel and why it might not be sexy, but I do think it's interesting and it, it can be a, a, a fun, engaging topic. So a lot of this is like data governance and the intersection of security, because if you think about security being how we protect and secure the things and not have SQL injection and open databases and things, and then the governance being how we manage the underlying data behind those security controls. Uh, and if we put it in the context of Australia, which was so noteworthy last year <laughs> with its data breaches, we had things like the Optus data breach, our second largest telco, massive multi-billion dollar multinational owned by Singtel in, in Singapore, had a data breach in September, huge amount of information exposed about, I think it must have been about half the Australian adult population, with 11 million people, exposed in this data breach. And it raised loads and loads of questions around things like, uh, why are there people in this data breach who haven't been a customer for 20 years and they've just had like their driver's license number exposed? Which usually, I think your driver's license, certainly in the state, stays the same when you renew your license. So, you know, probably active driver's license numbers. You know, so why is that information exposed? Uh, did they need to have it in the first place? How long should they have retained it for? If they had have at least purged the old customers, then the impact would have been really different. And then you fast forward a couple of months, and now we've got this, this Medibank private health insurance company, which is the second largest private health insurer in the country. No, the largest, sorry, Optus was second largest telco. Medibank was the largest. Uh, again, about 11 million Aussies. They get ransomware, uh, and then attacker starts to go and just dump all the data. And this was the really, really recalcitrant one, where they're like, uh, okay, you guys aren't going to pay, so you are now going to pay by reputational damage. Here's a list of everyone's had abortions, and then here's the drug addicts, and then, like, just maximum, maximum impact. Uh, and again, the discussion comes up about the data governance. How can we minimise the impact of security incidents by retaining less data, acquiring less data in the first place? Um, it, but it's it's difficult, right? Because, and I feel like I have this this constant spiel that I do every time I travel and talk about data governance now. So data minimization, good one. You want to get a SIM card. So you go into Optus, the telco, and you're worried about your driver's license, so you say, I would like a SIM card, but I don't want to give you my driver's license. All right, well, you don't get a SIM card. <laughs> That's it. Well, you go to Medibank. I would like a private health insurance policy, but I don't want to give you my pre-existing conditions. 
okay, well, you don't get a policy. Like this is data which these organizations, I was going to say by necessity need to obtain. I'm still not convinced that a telco needs to have things like a drive size. And I think we have better ways of doing that. Uh, Pre-existing conditions, obviously very, very relevant for a health insurance policy. Uh, and, you know, all the discussion in the world about, well, we should encrypt the data at rest or something uh, is really not going to solve that problem. It's still obtained. It's still visible by operators. There are still points at which it needs to be retrieved and and read. So anyway, I, I think it's a fascinating dis- discussion. And one of the themes that came up a lot during all that was how we do identity verification. And, and this sort of goes back to a bunch of stuff I spoke about in Congress back in 2017. In the wake of all the data breaches, how can we reliably do knowledge-based authentication? Uh, so, yeah, if telcos are very good at saying, in order to prove who you are and that you are who you say you are, what's your date of birth? And we're like, well, all right, first of all, it's the thing in all the data breaches. Uh, second of all, it's the thing that's on a lot of the social media. And thirdly, how is this at all any sort of secret when people like having parties and cake? And presence. Like, this is a real mess. How can we do this stuff better? Uh, and then inevitably, the discussion leads into, and someone raised this when it was Friday morning uh, from, from the audience, because there are audience questions being submitted, and then the, the moderator would ask the questions. Someone sort of said something to the effect of, well, sh- shouldn't we just do identity verification via a centralized government body? And then it's like, okay, well, so now you want to trust the government with more and more stuff, right? So <laughs> you want the government to have more information about you so that they can then provide some sort of identity assurance to other organizations. And, and one of the other ladies on the panel sort of said, but Troy, you realize the government has all that data anyway, don't you? And it's like, yes, of course they have all that data. Now, in this sea of audience people, put your hand up if you'd be willing to do your identity verification via the government. And it was like 1% of people (laughs) put their hands up because no one trusts the government to do anything, which I do agree is a little bit ironic um, because the situation is is that, as this this lady said, it's like the the government has your data anyway. Actually, that was another good good one. I'm just going to put my device on mute so I'm not, not hearing all the other notifications here. Someone at the Perth user group raised an interesting question, which I think is a representative of a misunderstanding about how much the government does have. Um, They said, digital driver's licenses are bad because I don't want to give the government more data about me. And I was like, hang on a second. You realize everything that would appear on a digital driver's license is what you already have on a plastic driver's license and the government has all that already and it exists in their central systems and what you're worried about is instead of the piece of plastic in your wallet you've got some digital representation on your phone same data government still has all the same information short of say device details or something like that i'm not sure what goes into the enrollment process that doesn't change what the government has about you uh, what it does change is what the like the the weirdo doorman at a bar sees when you go to gain entry. You don't have to hand over your plastic license. It's got your photo and your date of birth and your home address on it. (laughs) You show a digital representation which just says you are over the age of 18. So I think it's interesting, isn't it, the way people see different different risks where they may not actually be risks at all. Joe's here. Anything in the UK? 
Talk about the McLaren wine IoT and anything else as much as you want. People always hate for a multitude of reasons, none of which are anything to do with you. I, I saw something related to this today. Let me see if it's still in the, the feed here. Um, now, this, this I found quite fascinating to read. I think it's just an interesting sort of social thing. I was sitting down there, having my coffee, reading my Facebooks. It slipped off here. You may have seen in the news there is a guy here in Australia who has obviously managed to make a large amount of money and over the last few days has decided that the, I think the numbers were the $35 million penthouse he's bought in Melbourne would look better if he craned in a $3 million McLaren Centre GTR, the 50 floors up or whatever it is, is very high, craned that in and put it in his living room. And the guy's like 35 years old or something like that. Um, that made headlines. <laughs> and the story here in the headlines today was, uh, I mean, okay, it, it's, it's a $3 million car being lifted up through the air into a lounge room. Like that's, that's newsworthy. But the thing that was making the headlines today was the outrage of people that he should be able to do this. It's like, why? What's, what's, well, what, are you, what are you upset about? And then the outrage was something to the effect of during this time of, of uh, financial, apparently it's financial crisis again, or uh, rising cost of living, or there's always a, a thing at the moment. People were very upset that this guy, it uh, looks like he, he started a, some sort of a startup, um, made a lot of money out of it, and is worth $350 million or something, has decided to spend, I guess, 10% of it on an apartment and a supercar. People were very upset about that. <laughs> Made a lot of news. <laughs> so, mm. Brian says, is he making the ultimate sim racing cockpit? No, it's like literally just going to sit in his lounge room, which I find is a bit of a shame because it is obviously an amazing, amazing car. Track only. It's not road registrable. To have it sit there in a living room and not be – but then again, it's art too. It's art. So, Anyway, where were we? Joe was talking about the McLaren and bits and pieces. So I, I'm I'm going to talk about uh, I'm going to talk about that last, and then if it's not of interest to you, that's that's fine. You don't need to tell me it's not of interest to you. You can just leave. <laughs> that would be it. Stefan says, "Isn't that how Scott had you pwned with Optus?" So now Stefan's going back to Optus here. So <laughs> when Scott Helm was here for our wedding in September, he wanted a SIM card, and he decided to get a SIM card from Optus. And Optus has all of this identity verification stuff in there. And it was asking for his passport details, which he was providing, and it wouldn't accept it. And I, I remember, actually, I was in the car with him and Noel Merrigan as well, and we're driving around on another funny story I can't talk about publicly. <laughs> I'll tell you offline, Stefan. Uh, and I just remember him saying, look, it won't work. That Another way of, of verification is using an Australian credit card. Troy, can I use your credit card? I say, yeah, sure, no problems. <laughs> Here you go. Next minute, Optus data reach. So thank you, Scott, and that was great. <laughs> I didn't mean to be in there. Joe says, I'm jealous that he can afford such an expensive art piece, but if he's not hurting anyone, why not do it? So the... The context that I saw in the, the news story this morning was very much around, we've, we've just had a, I think we've just, yeah, this time of year, we've had a federal budget handed down there. Uh, I'm not paying a lot of attention to all this because frankly, I'm too busy. But it's something like the, some tax cuts that were passed on to people earning more than $200,000 a year will stay 
uh, but there are also people who are getting government subsidies of like $50 or something a day. And, and basically, it, it, like it's, it's all the usual stuff we see every single year, which is how much should you tax the rich and give to the poor? Classic Robin Hood stuff. <laughs> so obviously this is in the news at the moment, and then there's this guy who's done really well from himself. Now, mind you, there's a bunch of Aussies out there who have done a lot better than that too. Um, actually, that, that that's probably disingenuous just to say a bunch. There are people out there who have. Uh, it's like the girl who started Canva. She's a billionaire now. She's in her 20s or something like that. You know, good on her for that. A fantastic, hard worker. There's always going to be someone who bitches and whinges. Getting back to the point that I think Joe raised originally, um, you know, some people don't like seeing those things. <laughs> I don't like seeing that someone's living in a nice house or driving a nice car or something like that. And uh, There's a really easy way to deal with this. Um, don't pay any attention to it. I, I find these news articles a little bit pointless, to be honest. So I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. What else is happening? I'll go up and do my video. John, John Bournes is going to try. Just curious, did you ever have any luck with finding a decent home key door lock in the market over the UK? But options are definitely lacking. Let's just talk about that. You know, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do 60 seconds on the Renter Mojo data breach, and then I'm going to come back to that because I do have things to say about that. Renter Mojo, an Indian rental service, was uh, very hacked, and that was data that I'd had for uh, not very long, actually. I think that was pretty fresh. That was an April incident, so someone had sent that through to me. Over 2 million unique email addresses exposed last month. Data also includes names, phone, passport, and Aadhaar numbers. That's the government-issued IDs, which came into effect a few years ago and have been very, very controversial in India. Genders, dates of birth, purchase, and bcrypt password hashes. 65% of the accounts were already and have been pwned. There's really not much noteworthy about this. It's like, okay, use bcrypt. Well, that's that's good. Two million hours is pretty normal. Some online service. Um, they, I think they got extorted by the collective known as Shiny Hunters, a furniture and electronics rental startup. Now, they did confirm the breach. Now, the email sent by the Shiny Hunters says they exfiltrated, uh, exfiltrated the date, the data, from Rento Mojo. The group states that the company is refusing to pay ransom for users' data and safety, which, of course, they should refuse to. I'm, I'm with Rento Mojo on that one. Rento Mojo claims it has taken immediate steps to fortify that's a good word, isn't it? To fortify our systems to prevent such incidents. Some of the measures include encrypting all information in its database and implementing multi-factor, MFA, for additional layers of protection. Your multi-factor doesn't really help when your data is dumped publicly, though. That's that's the problem. Um, I would like, just on a tangent here, I would like some academic somewhere to do some sort of study around how effective is MFA working on the assumption that people who enable MFA, where it is optional, and it almost always is, unless you're in a corporate environment or something, of people who enable MFA, they are the ones who are more security conscious to begin with. So do they not have better practices, stronger passwords, no reuse, this sort of thing? Ergo, making the value proposition of MFA less than what it is for people who hadn't thought to enable it anyway. Does that make sense? I think there's a good study in there. Shining Hunters continues, we have also downloaded terabytes of KYC, including bank documents, passports, ID cards, driver's licenses, etc. 
Nonetheless, it seems Rentomojo is unwilling to pay a penny, and would rather we share your data publicly, given the lack of response from their end. I almost feel like ransomware crews, it's like they're surprised, you know? It's like, we tried to shake you down for millions of dollars with the threat of releasing your data, and you didn't pay. We're shocked. All right, I probably shouldn't be if you've been paying any attention. Hmm. Okay, let's go and talk about the house stuff. And I might just start directly with John's question here about door locks. This coming week is the week. <laughs> I will be able to answer that because the new doors are going in with the new door locks. Now, just to, to take a step back, because it's sort of related to photos and things that I was sharing last night, just, just on a whim, because we were sitting around looking at the house. Um, I'm, I actually started writing a blog post about this last night. I've been thinking for a while I should do a blog series on house stuff. It, there'll be some IoT stuff in there, but it's mostly just about things that we've done with the house and lots of befores and after. About two years ago, we had leaks. I started with the blog post last night. It's like the first sentence is it started with a leak. <laughs> so we had leaks in the ceiling where a subtropical climate just here, we particularly towards the end of the year, uh, when it's hot in this part of the world, we'll get four o'clock afternoon storms uh, with really heavy downpours. They'll be short, really heavy, and then it will clear up and the place will smell awesome and it will be nice again. So the roofing and guttering systems here need to be able to deal with like high volumes of water. We just have 300 days of sunshine a year, but when it rains, it rains good. So we'd get leaks in certain parts of the house and it would be because it's leaking through the roof. Anyway, one of these leaks turned out to not be coming from the roof, but to be coming from the ensuite in the master bedroom. Uh, and we're like, all right, well, can't you just like silicon up the tile? And they're like, no, you need to demolish the entire ensuite. So take out like the basin and the bath and the toilet and everything, then take out the tiles. Uh, and then there's going to be a bunch of wet stuff. And then you've got to redo all the waterproofing. And then you put back in tiles and basins and bathrooms and toilets and everything else. Uh, and it's going to be a six-figure sum of money. That's Australian money, <laughs> which is still a large amount of money in any, any, uh, any currency. But it is a massive piece of work. And that just started a process where we're like, oh, <laughs> while you're in there and we did a bunch of that a couple of years ago and just now we're we're just upgrading a bunch of other things as well and I guess just refreshing the house and as I'm starting to say in the blog post I'm finding the words but yeah, part of it is there's a I think I've referred to as like a shadow of a former life <laughs> you know some people work out what I mean by that and, and we're trying to make this very much us so we're doing a bunch of different things in here and a bunch of it was repairs, uh, yeah, the, the bathroom, for example. A bunch of it was maintenance, you know, wear and tear, and things degrade over a course of time. And then a bunch of it is is capital improvements and upgrades. Uh, and then sometimes there's a bit of a grey line between all of these two. Regardless, so I started this tweet thread last night where I showed that the hallway. So we've just had micro cement put in a bunch of areas where there's tiles. Now, if you don't know what micro cement is, you know what cement is. Uh, and this is just a really fine grain cement that you put over tiles. So imagine you've got tiles somewhere and you're like, I would like this to look different, uh, different color, different textures, this sort of thing. The micro cement goes over the top. Sounds simple. We thought it would be cheap. Wrong on both fronts. <laughs> but and I'll talk more about that in the blog post. It looks really cool now. So I did these before and after shots. And I had lots of like wow responses. I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll do a few more of these. So there's another shot in here of like our 
entertainment room uh, where things be like it's I think the term is the house has good bones you know like it's a really nicely designed place that's a really good size really good layout fantastic location and now it's really just like the veneer within there of how do we make this more awesome now the door lock thing as many of you know I have been IOTing lots of stuff as, as I look around my desk and there's like a multimeter here and there's batteries and IOT devices it's more chaos down there than what you see <laughs> looking back this way I've been IOTing a lot of things and one of the things that I've wanted to IOT for quite some time is door locks now there are multiple reasons for this. I know some people lose their mind as soon as you start to talk about locks and technology. So a few obvious ones. I would like to be able to press a button and know that the house is locked. Yeah, certainly the main doors that we come and go from all the time are locked. Um, I, I don't know if we'll ever get to the point of IOTing all the locks. I'd like to be able to do that. I'd like to be able to go out without having to take keys. Um, you know, really, I want to walk out with my watch and my phone, and that's it. I don't want a wallet. Waiting for those digital driver's licenses. September this year, apparently. Uh, and I'd like to be able to walk out without keys. I would like the kids to be able to come and go without needing to carry around keys. I'd like my mum and dad to be able to come and visit uh, or, or possibly me. Or maybe they pick the kids up one day and they come home and they can unlock the door. Now, sometimes our neighbours collect packages for us. I'd like them to be able to put it inside. Sometimes we have tradespeople come and visit. I'd like to be able to give them a temporary pin and they let themselves in or out or whatever it may be. Lots of good value propositions for IoT locks. There are some risks, but I think people are not reading the room most of the time when they talk about the risks because they'll go, well, the lockpicking lawyer tested some of these and they were not very good. Now, that said, there are some examples that I've seen this guy test where I've just looked at it and gone, I just cannot in all good faith order one of these. Like This was just so stupidly simple. However... It is not the lockpicking lawyer or any lockpicking person or possibly even anyone from our industry used to like breaking into stuff that I'm worried about. It is the kids these days. That's who's breaking into our houses here. Some of you have seen, I've had experiences with that where someone broke into the car and then came into the house with a knife. Anyway, different story. They're the people that I'm worried about. So the bar doesn't need to be as high as what I think most people think it is. I'm certainly not worried about people who have the digital skills to come to the house and remotely unlock something. Well, like, of course, you wouldn't have to be at the house. You could remotely unlock it. But to then break into it, which, of course, you need physical presence for. That's not the concern. Now, all of that said, where we got to is in my perfect world, if we think about all the different ways you can authenticate to a lock, uh, obviously, there's key. That's what we're trying to move away from. I just don't want keys at all. There are pins. That's the obvious one. There is uh, NFC whether it be watch, phone, or an NFC card, there's biometrics as well. Uh, and, and then, of course, within NFC, it's like, okay, well, there are there is like literally the NFC protocol, but there is also proximity, um, such as using other protocols, such as Bluetooth. What I really wanted was I wanted support for Apple HomeKey. Now, HomeKey is different to having an Ain <laughs> having sound a Dutch remote having a mobile app on your device, which you can then uh, get close to, uh, and, and then for example, I've, I've got a um, a Yale security screen door lock that I've just been trialing. Um, it's behind another normal lock door, so it doesn't matter whether it doesn't work or not. But you need to have the app, and you need Bluetooth, and you need proximity. 
HomeKey is NFC. It's it's a first-party supported mechanism of unlocking doors on the device. It's fairly new. I think it only landed last year. Very few devices that support it, but you can like literally just go to your wallet uh, on your on your phone or your your watch, and then just unlock like that. Or and it can do it based on proximity. Like it is the future of Apple's mechanism for unlocking the doors. Very few places that support, or very few devices that support it. And this is where I think John was going here. So sorry, John. A very long roundabout way of coming back to your question here. Now, with the caveat that I haven't looked in the last two months, I do need to go and look. In fact, I'm going to do that after I get off this podcast. I want to go and have a look at it. And what I really want to find out then is where it is being supported above and beyond where it was, I guess, last time I looked earlier this year. What we've decided on for now is Yale, I think it's Yale Assure. Let's have a look. Yale Assure Lock. That's the one. Yale Assure Lock, uh, Digital Entrance Lock, Experience Effortless Entry. Uh, A couple of different reasons for this. Yale is a very well-known lock brand. Also, uh, my mate Aaron Powell, <laughs> sometimes on this podcast, has listened, has listened, has one of these installed, has had very positive experiences. I've spoken to him extensively about that. Where are we? Smart products. I'm still in the Yale section just here. They seem to be very solid. They're visibly not completely terrible. They also have... Um, the ability to have different uh, networking modules in them. So you can have a Wi-Fi module, you can have a Zigbee module. So we've ordered ours with Zigbee. So there'll be Zigbee-enabled locks. So I'm just finding the Zigbee a little bit more resilient than the Wi-Fi, which does get very busy here. So we're going down the Yale Assure path. Now, we're getting a brand new front door. It'll go into that. And we're getting a brand new front gate. And it will go into that as well. So uh, that front gate is actually under a gatehouse, so it's not directly exposed to weather, but it will be able to tolerate the weather. So we're going to have two of them, and they'll go in, I believe, at the end of this week coming. So I may be able to talk about that. That'd be cool, actually, if this Friday coming, I can talk about these in, in the next video. Part of the reason I chose this Yale Assure series is I, f- I had sort of the highest confidence that I would be able to interchange these with something else later on. Now, whether that be uh, either changing the networking module that's in there, I don't know that we're just going to be able to get another networking module that suddenly does NFC with HomeKey, or just changing the physical lock. And yes, it means a lock that's probably 500 bucks or something. I don't know. They've bundled that into the price of the whole door. You're going to go and spend that money again, but that is a small price of what the door costs because a big freaking aluminium door. So that seems to be the best way forward. Um, we'll see. We'll see. See if I'm proven right or not. Now, just notice Richard's comment. He said 100 grand for bathroom. Just to caveat that, the work extended well beyond the bathroom. There are a bunch of other things that needed doing as well. Um, I think the bathroom, it's, I can't even remember the price. But if you go through, and it's, you'll see this in the photos later on, if you go through and you calculate a combination of all the demo, buying all the things again, and that's everything from the cabinetry through to the tiles, through to the mirrors, it 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 just adds up at such an alarmingly fast rate. And I remember actually when they were looking at doing it, I was like, well, can, you know, can we put the tiles back on? No, you can't because the tiles get destroyed when you pull them out. Um and, and then part of it, you know, said before, it became a bit of a grey line between what is repairs and maintenance versus a couple of improvements. 
we, we had this discussion where we're like, we could put this back as it is. So for example, we could put the same bath back in. Pretty sure we could have put the same bath back in. But this was a renovation from 17 years ago. Now that we have the opportunity, do we want to do it differently? And so, yeah, well, we, we, we do. For some of the reasons I mentioned before in terms of shadows of former life and everything. Also, we, we just, there were new things we wanted. We wanted to turn the shower into a steam shower, which is epic and I love it and it's fantastic and I'm really glad we spent the money. Um, we put heated tiles down, which is actually one of the cheapest things. Not heated tiles, heated floor. One of the cheapest things we did because that was like 1500 bucks or something. And it's not that it's so much cold here and you need to heat things up, but everything dries really quickly now. So it's, you just barely ever have a wet floor. It's like you walk out of the shower, come back half an hour later and everything is now dry. <laughs> Thank you, 1500 bucks for heated tiles, heated floor. So there was that. Um, we have found, to, to Richard's point, I think anyone that's done any sort of significant houseworks before, and until two years ago, I had never, so this was all new to me, we'll see how quickly cost escalates. Uh, now, to give you an example, I've been sharing some stuff about what we've done in the garage. Without going into all the exact figures, because I'm not sure how much we ultimately want to share there, but we were getting the floor epoxied. So we're going to have an epoxy floor. It's going to be a dark color floor. Cars are going to look awesome when they're sitting on that. Uh, and, and let's say for the sake of simplicity, the cost of the floor is one. We went, okay, cool. So we're going to pay one. The floor is going to be done. Yeah, yeah. You know you also have to pay three to level the floor before you can do the epoxy, which is one. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, what the, f well, hang on a second. Like you didn't mention that earlier on and we didn't go through and necessarily do everything on a fixed cost either. So the quotes for some things, a bunch of other stuff were like, ah, how about bad can it be? Um, that's our naivety. So things have escalated a little bit out of control. Brian says, do many of the breach files you get have plain text passwords? Still happens, uh, much less so now. If you go to haveabeenpwned.com, go to who's been pwned, search for plain, you'll see all the ones that have plain text. And, and there are a bunch there. Um, it, uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely seeing more bcrypt now than what we used to in days gone by. I am definitely seeing less plain text, less MD5, SHA-1, all that sort of stuff. But there's a massively long tail of data breaches, not just sites that have already been breached from years ago and the data's coming to light, but how many sites are out there and it's like, well, we, we built it 10 years ago, it's still running fine. Geez, I built Have I Been Pwned almost 10 years ago. It'd be 10 years in December. There's a lot of stuff out there that's still running pretty much as it was a decade ago where those practices were much more normal. So yeah, it, 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 still, it still actually happens a lot, uh, unfortunately. Uh, greetings from Ireland. Any thoughts on the .zip top-level domain? How do I pronounce your name? Wow, okay, you probably can't <laughs> tell me. Ciao? Uh, okay, so there is a new TLD, which is .zip. Uh, I saw a, just a brief little bit of commentary about it the other day. I guess it's kind of interesting that we have a TLD that's like a file extension as well. I saw a bit of commentary about some of the domains that people were buying uh, because it, it it then looks really weird because it just looks like a file name in the address bar, but it's actually a full full domain name with with just a .zip TLD. I, I don't like I've, this is all off the cuff commentary. I, I don't have much to say about it other than the fact I, I think there's going to be some interesting things around the fact that you can conflate a domain name with a file name. I and mean, if you have 
Has anyone got database.zip? <laughs> database backup.zip. Yeah, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, uh, look, uh, too early for me to say. I have not, not, not thought that through all the way yet. Um, Brian says, cost of building materials have gone up in the past three years as well, which doesn't help. Yeah, so this has been, been another problem. So cost of building materials and also uh, a cost and availability of labor. Uh, obviously, it's a whole supply and demand thing. During COVID, um, I guess it was kind of a weird economic time, wasn't it? But it, it seems to be that a lot of people stayed home. Uh, we had a lot of government support for people to, to have uh, continuity of income where people might have spent it on traveling. There was a lot of commentary about, well, now people are just spending it upgrading their homes because they're spending more time in the place and they've got the surplus money that they would have spent going and doing something else. There was definitely a, a, a very significant property market boom here. And I know this having gone through the process of valuing things during that time. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So we saw a very, very large uptick from like 2023 to 2022. Um, and it, it has made building more expensive for both materials and, and labor and has made the availability of tradespeople much harder too. So unfortunately, this was probably not the best time to be doing those sorts of works, but, you know, here we are. Now, all of that said, we are getting close to the end of this. The major stuff still outstanding is the garage picks, which I've been sharing. I've got the, the joinery to go in, so all the cupboards and cabinets and things like that. And the kitchen still needs to be done. Uh, I, I started a thread on that very early in the year. Incidentally, got some really, really good feedback from Twitter, which has definitely had a profound impact on how we've designed this. So I want to make sure I write that up. And, and a few other miscellaneous things, like there's a, a barbecue and, and stuff like that. So I, I think we're sort of going to be looking at sometime next month, hopefully going, you know, like 95% of everything is done. But I do want to start publishing some of these blog posts earlier as well. So I, I think I'm, I might even, it's, it's one of those when you have an itch kind of things and you just want to write. So I might even try and start publishing that this week. Uh, and, and we'll see. Hopefully people will find it interesting and and we'll, we'll get some enjoyment out of it. And it won't be like old mate forklifting his Lamborghini or his, his McLaren up into his penthouse. And negative comments like that. So, <laughs> and it's nowhere near as extravagant as that. Let's just be clear. Okay, folks, look, I'm, uh, I'm going to chime out there. This, uh, this managed to get some good content. Thank you for joining on us. A really funny hour of the day. I will try and come back and do this again, probably Friday afternoon, my time next week being, what's that going to be? On the 19th. Okay, folks, see you later.